Now the word of God from Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Never flag in zeal. Be aglow with the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. May God bless this reading of his word, and to his name be the praise and the glory. In this latter section of Romans chapter 12, the most important word is love. And the man who has the right to speak of love is the Apostle Paul, God's missionary of love, who said himself, the love of Christ controls me. His Lord, Jesus Christ himself, is the supreme example of love. Wherever he went, whatever he did, all the words that proceeded out of his mouth came from a heart of love. And therefore, in introducing this practical section of the book of Romans, the last chapters, love stands at the heading as the key idea to give shape to all of the ethical and moral instructions that will follow. Love sums them all up. This love is a creation of the Holy Spirit. It is a new word fashioned, stolen, as it were, out of the Koine Greek and baptized and represented to the public as a whole new virtue, agape, something the world had never known until Christ came. The Christian faith then incorporates into itself this new quality, this love it required whole new word and way of thinking, a whole new way of acting to express this particular grace. This paragraph from 9 to 13 expresses mainly the love that is asked of us within the body of Christ. It starts there. And the paragraph from 14 through 21, which we will look at on another occasion, Lord willing, expresses the love of the Christian for those beyond the church. But thinking tonight of these verses 9 to 13, they might be brought together in one sentence. God wants genuine love to abound in the church. God wants genuine love to abound in the church. Now what does God mean by love? It's there in verse 9. He wants love to be pure. That is, 
We are ingenious at counterfeiting love. We know that it is required. And the love of God in itself is pure. It has no hypocrisy and insincerity in it. Yet, we pretend love. We act out the part of love. And in doing so, we commit the greatest offense against love because Christian love cannot be adulterated, watered down, mixed with hypocrisy. But you see, what happens is that our profession of being Christians and our ideal to love runs ahead of our actual feeling and emotion and heart toward people. And therefore, we do what we think we ought to do in love so that outwardly there is an expression of love, but inwardly it is lacking. And that's why the apostle here is constrained under the power of the Holy Spirit to write, let love be genuine. The only true love is the one that is without hypocrisy. If you took four major versions of the New Testament and asked how it was written, the others would read this way, let love be without dissimulation or pretense. Another says, let love be in all sincerity. Another says, let there be no imitation love. And the idea that comes through is that God wants love in our hearts to be pure, utterly free from this mixture. And so he is asking every believer to go inside himself and to find any malicious, evil intention within and to root it out. The believer is to look inside and see if the love that he expresses outwardly in words is actually present within. The believer is not to allow himself, therefore, to have a double standard, a show, a pretense, an external of love that is not backed up with the internal heart. Because it is very easy for us to say to someone, I love you, and turn around and both neglect them and even reject them in many ways. And this is most grievous to the Lord. Let love be genuine. And you may be asking the question, as I did, pondering these verses, how then, since I know it is my duty to love, and since my heart doesn't always catch up with this duty, how can I keep from being a hypocrite in loving? The answer is here. Hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Because what is called for here is that the Christian is to look at his brother and abhor that in the brother or sister which is evil. And in us there is evil in all of us. That is, we are not to be reinforcing or tolerant of those things that are evil within our brother's life. But we are to shrink from them as with a physical horror. The greatest love we can do 
for our brother is to hate that thing which is foreign to him but which has invaded his life and which is evil. Likewise, we are to hate the evil which is in us and despise those tendencies and those reigning sins and those continuing habits, despising them, not learning to coexist with them and putting up with them, but to abhor them. And this word, hate, here, is the most forcible word for that in the New Testament, as if we can have no time for, no place for evil in our lives. But hold fast to what is good. And the word here is the word to glue something. Cleave to it. Stick to it. And so when you're loving a brother, find that which is good in him. Every Christian has many good things about him or her. Find that and stick to it. Cleave to it. Find that in him or her which you can really be drawn to and let your love gravitate and focus in that part of the personality that will both draw out the virtues of that Christian and it will keep your love from being hypocritical because you are actually loving both externally and internally that which is good in the life of your friend. Now, we have a marvelous example of this in Jesus Christ. You remember how he worked with Mary Magdalene. There were some scars in her life, some dark areas of which she was ashamed. Our Lord cleansed her of those. He hated that which was fallen and evil within her. He abhorred that and cast it out, had no time to tolerate it. But that person, Mary, who could be a woman of worth and of holiness and of character, he glued himself to those great qualities in her and caused her to rise and become what she could be in God. And that's what we're called to do. You see, hypocritical love does precisely the opposite. Hypocritical love hates what is good and cleaves to that which is evil in the other person. It picks on the evil one, sticks to it, keeps going over it, criticizes it, but doesn't say very much about the good. So this is the love that we're called to. Let love be genuine. Hold fast what is evil. Hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Now the love that is described here is set forth in terms of relations, of course. There's no such thing as Christian love apart from relationships. And these relationships are unfolded next in what is a kind of a family affection. The word that is used here, love one another with brotherly affection, is a teaching found throughout the New Testament. For example, in 1 Thessalonians we read, you have no need that anyone should teach you, 
For the Father himself has taught you to love one another with brotherly love. First Peter says in 1.22, seeing that you've been cleansed unto an unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another out of a pure heart fervently. And again in the third chapter and the eighth verse, we read this, have love of the brethren within yourself. And the idea is that the same sort of fellow feeling and joy that is in a home for members of a family should characterize the body of Christ. We are to be kinfolk to one another. That's why we speak of brothers and sisters. And our Christian comrades in the Lord are closer often even than our natural flesh. So that's what he means when he says, love one another with brother affection. Brother Lee, I think, weakens it. Brother affection, as you would your own physical brother. You'd do anything for him, wouldn't you? And you express this by showing honor. You know, there is a tendency in all of us to want to excel. We crave superiority, don't we? We want to be the best in anything, and that in itself is not altogether bad. But what that means is that we are often very slow to honor each other. We might like to be honored by the other. But this says that we are to lead the way in showing honor to others. Not to wait for honor to come, but to be out there in front recognizing the gifts that God has given and honoring brothers and sisters for what God is doing in their lives, learning to admire each other. You say, how can I do it? Well, those of you who are parents here, you know how to do it. Were you ever jealous of your son? getting a trophy, or your daughter winning a prize. You were the first one up to the stage to congratulate her. You just rejoiced that she had an honor. You never said to yourself, oh, I wish I'd had that honor. Why, she got an honor, and you were thrilled. And the prayer of parents is that their children would go way beyond them in receiving the honors of the Lord and the church and the world. And that's the same way we're to be in the fellowship, rejoicing in the good things that God is doing and giving to his people. There's no greater way to make a friend than to honor that person by the recognition of the way God is honoring them and there's no greater way to have your spirit broken than to feel you are being despised by members of your own family. And we are your family, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now we might ask, where does the energy to love like this come from? That's going to take some work. We can make two mistakes in loving. The first is to pretend love, which is not there. That involves us in hypocrisy. 
The other is when the demand from God comes for loving, we answer with sentimentalism. Sentimentalism is fruitless feeling. It doesn't go anywhere. It's warmth without action. And that too is a sin. That's why we're told here in verse 11, never flag or pause in zeal. Never flag in your zeal. And the reference now, keep it close to loving, the reference is to your loving. Don't give up your zeal in loving. How easy it is to be slack in our loving. But the call here of the Apostle Paul under the mandate of the Spirit of God is that Christians are to shrug off their laziness. Some of us are lazy in loving. No expression comes. Sentiment might be there. Duty is there. But it never gets translated into action. We flag in zeal. He that is slack in his duty is brother to a destroyer, says Proverbs. Now this zeal is to be like a boiling pot within the Christian. That's the literal meaning of the next phrase. Be aglow with the Spirit. Be, be fervent in spirit. And the idea is that within the Christian's life, that great center of energy, which is the habitation of the Holy Spirit, is to be kept at a high temperature so that it is giving off steam and energizing the Christian life. Be fervent in spirit. God hates lukewarmness. Many of us are lukewarm in our loving. There's no passion. There's no action, there's no imagination, there's no sacrifice, there's no giving, there's nothing that goes beyond us. And God says, be fervent in spirit. Lukewarmness is something that was hot on its way to being cold. So somewhere in between, it's, if you're lukewarm, you were hot, you're on your way to being cold. You don't stay lukewarm. You can't even stay there. You go from that to cold. And so we're called here under God to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And the apostle puts that there, I believe, to show us that in the simple acts of loving one another, being genuinely concerned without hypocrisy in the good and the spiritual welfare of one another, caring for each other, we are actually serving the Lord Christ. We're not simply serving that brother or sister. We are serving Christ in him. Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. And the more needy that brother is, the more we are serving Christ, because the, the least he is. And we are called to that. Many Christians spend the greater portion of their time serving their own advancements, their own ambitions, their own projects. When God says, 
Don't flag in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Oh, you say, that's energy. That takes strength, and I don't have much strength. The strength is here in the next verse. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Phillips translates this verse so beautifully when he says, base your happiness on your Christian hope. Hope is the joyful expectation of future good. And the Christian is to find his motivation and his strength for loving not in his present circumstances. All of us can find reasons for being unhappy and joyless. But you see, the Christian's motivation is eschatological. That is, it's ahead of him. Someday Christ will appear with rewards in his hand. And every act of love, every cup of water, every telephone call, every cheerful note, all that we have done for him, all that will be rewarded and honored by the Savior. And so if you don't get much response from your loving, if there isn't a return, don't quit. Keep your eye on the horizon. Rejoice in hope. There are many things that will be withheld from you in this life. Many thank you notes you will never receive. Many acknowledgments you will never hear. The secret in loving is to enjoy the process of loving and wait for Christ to reward you, not to look for the answers here and now and give up so soon. But be patient in your trial. Love is vulnerable and often meets with resistance and misunderstanding and lack of appreciation. That's tribulation. But be patient in it. Don't give up the moment you are spurned. Let love be genuine means that you go on and on and on. And of course, the source of your hope and your patience and your love are all in your praying. The Christian has an uphill job in his praying. It's like putting the jet up into the sky. It's moving away from the gravitational pull of the earth so that you can soar. You don't do that easily. To have a prayer life requires perseverance and great fervor. To have a prayer life that is bringing into your heart the hope and love that you need is going to put work into it. You must be working and laboring at prayer if God is going to meet your needs and fill your heart. Don't give up. Be constant staunch in praying. Many of you have left off secret praying. It didn't seem to go anywhere, and you became weary. The reason you're weary is that you're not praying. Prayer is the answer to the Christian's weariness in love. And the more you pray, the more you can love. 
and the Lord will fill up the reservoirs of your heart with a great and mighty love. Then Paul, under the guidance of the Spirit, gives us the expression of that love. Contribute to the needs of the saints and practice hospitality. How practical God is. He doesn't just warm our hearts, but he gives us a place to plug our love in right away, and it's all around you. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Now, the, that, of course, means finding out the, the physical, financial needs of people and reaching out to them. Of course, that's there. But there's a lot more than that. Here's a, a woman in the country, removed from brothers and sisters by distance, perhaps unable to drive. Who will go and have a Bible study in her home where neighbors can gather and she can have a sense of ministry without ever leaving her neighborhood? Who will go and take her some afternoon of driving? Who will go and meet a need of loneliness in an older person? perhaps in a nursing home? Who will reach out to a newcomer in the community whose heart is far away with other loved ones and having difficulty adjusting? Who will put down their own schedule and say, come, let's have fellowship together. Contribute to the needs of the saints. They are far more than financial. Writing a check is good, but that may be a proxy way. That may be an evasion of our Christian service. Contributing to the needs of the saints is saying, what does this brother of mine need of me? And how, how can I make room to show the love of Christ to that soul? The needs of the people of God in this place are overwhelming. Most of them could be met by time and patient work and loving application of Scripture. It's all there. And God will show us how to do it. Practice hospitality. This was one of the earliest virtues of the Christian family. In the earliest days, the people of God opened their homes to the traveling missionaries and workers and other Christians who came. And hospitality was considered a way of entertaining angels. And it was considered one of the graces of the Christian life. But today, we have restaurants and motels and busy schedules. And we think we have to be so fancy. We have to get out the finest linen and the finest crystal or we can't entertain. But the Lord had no linen. He had no crystal. He had the grass to sit on. He didn't have eight courses to his meal, only two, bread and fish. And when he broke it and distributed it, they handed it out in baskets. Hospitality. Practice hospitality. If it's only the slightest what God has given you, 
share it. There's something in the eating together of the Christian family that is sacramental. It binds our hearts together in love. And so what these practical expressions call us to is a large-heartedness. Our hearts need to expand, do they not? In order to contain and give out the love of Christ, have not our hearts been too constricted, too bound to our own little programs and schedules, and not bursting with the great heart of Jesus? Are we not called to an expanded compassion that seeks out objects of mercy and love, especially those who cannot repay us? but who need so desperately the ministry of Christian love. Oh, for a large-hearted love like that. Well, the source of the Holy Spirit, source of, of love, is the Holy Spirit. He gives Christian love. We can't manufacture it. And tonight you're wanting more love. You want to express it, and so do I. Come to God. He gives his spirit to those who ask him. Say, God, fill me with your spirit that the love of Christ may animate and fill and flow from me. Oh, God, give me your spirit of love. Then make love your aim. Not enough simply to wait passively on God. He wants you to cooperate. Make love your aim. And ask God tonight for an expression of love. Maybe you've been going to begin something in your home for neighbors to show the love of Maybe you've been thinking of a new ministry of reaching out. Maybe you've thought of a lonely friend you could begin to show God's love to. Begin with an expression tonight, purpose in your heart, and God will bless you. Let love be genuine. Let us pray. Confronted by the word of God, our hearts are breaking, Lord, with a sense of our own inadequacy and our own need. For having been loved by Christ so deeply, we have dammed up that love in our own being and not let it flow to the thirsty hearts around us. Oh, God, forgive. Grant us now family affection for one another. Fill us with the energy of Christian love that we may be boiling within, ready to warm the hearts of others. Replenish the strength of love in our hearts and show to each one expressions of love 
moments of 